It's Wes, Andy, and Hank. Wow. We are back. It is time. I can't tell you how excited I am to uh, be our batch. Yes. We, <laughs> I should have thought of that. We are batch. Look at the three of us. We're so batchy. Beardy as ever. Beardy as ever. Yep. Glad to have the band back together, by the way. Totally. Um, it's been a long time. Um, almost a year. Almost Has it really been yeah, Sundays? I, the uh, no, the end. No, season two. Uh, well, it's been definitely well over six months. Yeah, but last one was Ahsoka, right? Oh, sorry, I was just uh, speaking about span uh, fandom. Oh, uh, fan oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was a while, while ago. No, no, we definitely we had Ahsoka. Oh, yeah. we already got a comment. Facebook user, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Sarah's here. Hello from the UK. I just finished my first rewatch of the three uh, season three episodes. Excellent. Sarah, nice to have you along. Thanks for tuning in. Excellent. Yeah. Um, we are back. It is a Sunday. We are in a special time slot. It's uh, one o'clock, just after one o'clock uh, Eastern time here in Canada. Um, and we will be reverting back to our regular Sunday night time at 6 p.m. And we'll be here with you every Sunday right up until the 5th of May uh, because the uh, the final episode streams earlier that week. So, yeah, um, mm -hmm. you, you got to put up with us for a couple more months. I hope that's OK awesome. with everybody. <laughs> and then I guess there's barely any downtime before the acolyte. Uh, so that, that just yes. kind of caught me off guard. Uh, yeah. Did we know that was coming sooner than later? I did not know it was coming. I mean, back. I knew it was this. They've been very cryptic, though. 2024, mid 2024. Yeah. yeah, 2024, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm excited for the acolyte. I don't think I'm as excited for that as I am for Skeleton Crew. Goonies um, in space. I mean, yeah, I that's, mean, that's just my kind of marketing. <laughs> I'm excited to be here uh, for the Bad Batch. And, uh, you know, it's been a long time since I've been able to use this button. But uh, I think it is time that we revisit uh, an old show staple with bad uh, Star no. Wars jokes. I didn't prepare one this week, but you both say you have one. So, like, do we want to unleash them both? I don't know. You, well, you go first because. All right. All right. I got one for you. Why did the Millennium Falcon fly better after the Force Awakens? <laughs> because it was Hans free. Oh, wireless. Oh. <laughs> nice. Well, I actually didn't uh, write a, a joke this week. I I dropped the tech on that one. Oh. <laughs> There we go. Emotional button. damage. Yeah. <sighs> we are going to talk about tech. Um, uh, I actually just read something today that made me go. <gasps> um, glimmer of hope. Yeah, glimmer of hope. And I hope that it's not uh, It's not played. Uh, um, well, don't pull up my heartstrings, Lucasfilm. You've already done it enough when you killed my mm. boy. 
you've already killed him once. Don't kill him emotionally. <laughs> you know, look at Disney. They've killed Thanos, what, nine times already? Oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> that is yeah. true. Yeah. Um, so this is how it's going to work today. I'm going to take the lead uh, with episode uh, 3.1. That's uh, confined. And then uh, given, uh, depending on how long we take, we'll maybe take a short break. And then it's over to uh, uh, Hank for Paths Unknown. And uh, we're bringing it home with Andy on uh, 3.3 Shadows of Atlantis, oh. which, uh, in my opinion, is the most uh, uh, exciting of the three. I guess that being said, let's get to the um, straw. <laughs> yeah, really. Let's, um, uh, let's get with our uh, first impressions. And when I say first impressions, let's just talk about the three episodes as an arc. Just lightly scratch the surface. If you had to summarize all three episodes, what do you guys think? We're in the dark phase right now. <laughs> dark. Like, uh, yeah. Literally, the entire three episodes are like the darkest episodes past that one tomb one. Oh, yeah. We've seen in this series so far. Yeah. Like to tonally dark. Tonally dark. Yeah. I I used a lot of editing on my slides <laughs> to bring yeah, I, I brought, uh, I brightened uh, almost all of the images. Almost all of mine. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I kind of put it this way. I did, I did prepare something here. I said, uh, once again, Lucasfilm has hit us with a multi-part opening that as a whole works better than the sum of its parts. I feel like the first episode confined is probably the most boring. If you can use that term while the second episode does build some excitement by introducing a new character. And then finally the third episode delivers the most action, but yet it only feels, it only makes it feel like a mid season episode. Like I didn't, mm -hmm get like oh like out of it i was like oh okay we're moving yeah we're, i i feel like they uh are building them one at a time on on a big script like you know and they're chopping them where they can for time because they probably have this linear yeah. you know and they they can they can edit to, to suit that and i feel like the same as last time i think they went yeah. oh we're going to, or, or that, or I mentioned in the chat, they might be testing these with test audiences. Oh, that's yeah. 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 And so maybe they're going, okay, we're going <laughs> to right? Like if you just air that first episode, you're like, okay. Yeah. I would have been, I would, if they had have just given us the first episode, I would have been disappointed. I'm so, not going to lie and, there. I mean, not terribly like it works in conjunction with the other three for sure. It does. Um, it does. And yeah. there's a lot of exposition and, so they, there's that too, but I just felt like it's like, are they, um, I feel like my camera is just slowly sliding downward. <laughs> technical issues. Wouldn't be us if there wasn't a technical issue, yeah. by the way. Oh, there we go. Can't slide now. Sarah says, uh, it's a superb start to the season. Very dark and oppressive. Couldn't agree more. Um, tonally they've really uh -huh. said it. Um, it's it's doom and gloom like yeah, it's yeah. all around doom and gloom and i think we push the we push the art form forward again i think there's another leap in in quality of animation certainly it's as smooth and buttery if i can say that as yeah. it's ever looked and the palettes are exquisite like you know Texture when you, patterns and, oh it's yeah, all there and then they're yeah. they're they're putting those dark themes over top of them because when you play with the images in in a in an editor you start seeing everything's there like, yeah you pull out, yeah, yeah. like yeah everything start noticing like uh like texture to like omega's face which i don't really recall noticing before mm. textures of like skin texture yeah yeah which yeah. is weird given the style of animation that it is but i like it 
especially in the third one where they're out there and she's getting dirty and you see literal dirt. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, I don't feel that though, in terms of storytelling, there's nothing here that, that pushes the boundaries of storytelling in the star Wars galaxy. Um, and I do feel like all three of them are as a whole are a pretty serviceable intro. Not bad. I would, I would disagree. There's something in Andy's episode that pushes us, uh, maybe not pushes us forward. And I'm like, no spoilers, but there's a connective tissue. Like there's like a, um, a verification to a theory that we all knew didn't really need to be verified. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I I didn't that even strong connective tissue though. You know, I like, didn't even allude to that because it just it was so obvious, and it's stuff that we've talked about. I mean, right from the beginning uh, uh, of the Omega character, who she is, what she is, what she might be, mm. and it's pretty much on the nose by the time we get to the end of this. And you can see, like they they're they've been so bold with saying like we are connecting this to the TV stuff that we're doing currently, and we're connecting that to the rise of skywalker endgame so like it or not and i think they're they're being uh like they did with the prequels i think the clone wars recontextualizes i think this recontextualizes oh, sure, yeah. can actually make those films maybe work somehow he returns well and again well, that we know <laughs> i think every, every media outlet out there every time they they talk about that they they use that clip somehow palpatine has returned oh yeah there's a, <laughs> a crazy meme and I, you know what it, it is what it is and we knew that the these shows were going to recontextualize things and yes we are well 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 on the way and if anything uh the three episodes together like you said hank when you look at the live action stuff and you sort of add in this new information that we know really does fill in a lot of gaps mm-hmm. yeah yeah we have a much better understanding now of uh, uh, Palpatine's plan, or at least uh, how he went about it, and how long it's been cooking. This is this yeah, is, like we won't we will get into it in the third thing, but like we're literally is, ten minutes after the Clone War. Like this is Plagius yeah. stuff. This yeah. this this is yeah. a huge link to Plagius. Yeah, uh, Lauren's here, and she says, "I feel like the slow pace uh, is to give us the feeling of time passing and the monotony of being Omega during this time." Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've got an interesting. I, I want to make an analogy here, and, and we're going to get to it here in a second. I guess let's just get right to it now. I'm going to put up the. Uh, let's put up the first slide here. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little switchy swappies. There we go. Um, uh, this first episode, it's uh, it, it is. Oh my God, what is it? It is a confined. <laughs> Uh, the original air date was Wednesday, February 21st, uh, 2024, just a couple days ago. This one written by uh, Jennifer Corbett. Uh, she is our uh, lead writer on the series, uh, directed by Saul Ruiz, the supervising director for the series. Runtime is an advertised uh, 33 minutes or an actual 27 minutes and four seconds without the recap titles or credits, which surprisingly is longer uh, than than most. In fact, I feel like did they either speed up the credit sequence uh to to trim that down maybe (laughs) the first thing i want to say about this and i i have a slide for it later on but i i want to get it out of the way right away is how much this episode reminded me of and or and the episodes on narkina 5 the the day-to-day like yes and i'm like oh wow she really must have liked uh that those episodes of Andor because tonally they feel so so similar but at the same time right you're confined in an imperial facility exactly this is what you're going through <laughs> yeah and she certainly had more freedom than uh, the only bonus to narkina was it was all bright and cheery to that's true yeah yeah the uh, the white 
yeah. institution. And she's not wearing a prisoner's uniform. She's she's no, rocking she with a not, yeah. uniform, right? So yeah, she's all right. Crew. Oh. All right, are we, are we ready to uh, get into this? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's hit it. All right, we uh, the episode opens with a new class shuttle dropping out of hyperspace over the planet Wayland. After receiving landing clearance, the shuttle makes for Mount Tantis. Uh, but there is a massive electrical storm and a random lightning strike disables the ship, forcing it to crash land far away from the base. Now, having survived the crash, the pilot and a handful of TK troopers debark the shuttle uh, to collect their bearings. One of the troopers tells the others they have to keep moving because there are creatures in the jungle. His comrade tells him to relax, adding that the Lurka hounds uh, will keep them at bay. But the other trooper points out that the hounds don't operate this far away. Uh, Lurka hound, that's a new creature that's uh, getting introduced here for the first time, although we will not see them until uh, later on this episode. All right. Oh, wow. Did I ever just jump ahead? What's going on here? <laughs> hmm. I feel like something's out of place. Well, Am I missing a slide? No, you're, you're missing finishing your section here. Oh, that's why. All right. Um, at the base communications center. Um, oh, wow. Or maybe you are. I am missing a slide. I really feel like I am. Or I've combined two into one. It's not a big deal. At the base communications center, a pair of technicians monitor the crash shuttle. Through the static, a TK trooper desperately calls for backup. Then, Dr. Hemlock, escorted by Clone Commando Scorch, arrive and the doctor asks why the shuttle hasn't arrived yet the technicians snap to attention as they relate how the shuttle has crashed and then ask if they should send a recovery team stepping up to the console dr hemlock listens to the, T uh, the tk troopers screams and blaster fire over the open channel before telling the technicians not to bother adding if they're past the perimeter they're as good as dead then he and scorch leave the technicians to their duties coldly he just turns the calm off yep just turns it off yeah, and walks away yeah um this is the one thing i want to talk about and i mean of course this is me we all know <laughs> me um i want to talk about these uh imperial technicians and they're just referred to as technicians there's no specific uh title given to them other than technician at a glance the uh unnamed text they resemble the various uh underbite helmet wearing texts that we've seen before like the imperial weapons technician and uh, imperial ground crew um but this is this is one of those things where like i get nitpicky on this stuff because i like getting lost in uh, getting caught in the weeds or lost in the minutiae of star wars mm -hmm. and i've talked about this before but the whole imperial uniform thing well they've kind of done it again and i understand that i think this is actually the one spot where the show has gone out of its way to save money there, I can't think of another, I can't think of a story reason for this because if you look a, a little bit more closely at the assets that they're using, uh, they're using the, the weapon, uh, the gunnery technician helmet and, uh, what appears to be a standard Imperial officer's uniform. Yeah, he's got his rank plate there. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. he's got a whole pocket, uh, pockets for his code cylinders. He's got the same belt. <laughs> it's the, uh, double lapel or double breasted jacket with the uh, riding trousers and the tall boots all animation assets that they already would have had and if we put a helmet on them then we don't have to do a conscript's face but jim was sick that day so uh lieutenant stan had to fill in i mean from a technical standpoint when it was we were doing the clone wars 
when we were doing the Clone Wars, it was easy. We have the same clone asset that we can use for every clone in the military. We're now at a point now in Star Wars where that's not happening anymore. We have actual people behind those masks. Well, it's going to cost if we have to animate every face. True. Let's just <laughs> stick a helmet on them and call them a technician. I say the tech was sick that day, and so an officer had to fill in. Here's a <laughs> helmet, boy. Grabbed a gunnery helmet, yeah. Here's a helmet. Your weapon. Anyway, tech. I just thought that was an interesting... Shit. They did go out of their way, though, to change the color. The boot color looks almost green. Yeah, I don't it, know. If that's just it most resembles that white, whitish uniform. Like, yeah. because, you know, they, they they washed it out a bit. I did lighten the whole thing. So it could just yeah. be a lighting thing. They might actually be black boots, but they look kind of green, at least in the, the lightened image. Anyway, that's me. That's me getting lost in the weeds because it's my thing. Well, there you go. All right, elsewhere in the fortress, Omega stands on the bed of her cramped cell staring out a grilled window. Gone is her batcher gear, replaced with a child-sized uniform from the Imperial Science Corps. It is the same uniform that the cloners, like Dr. Pershing, wears, complete with the cloner emblems on her shoulders. But the cell door slides open, and Emery Carr walks in, bidding her good morning, and asks her how she feels today. Angrily, Omega says she feels like a prisoner, and she wants to leave. Emery, somewhat taken back by the comment, tells Omega that she isn't a prisoner, adding that in time, she will adjust to her new life. Emery beckons Omega to follow her, saying they have much work to do, and then turns and leaves the cell. Omega collects a small metal lunchbox from under her bed and follows Emery out into the mountain complex. As they make their way through the facility, Omega and Emery pass several troopers and science technicians. One group of troopers is escorting some clone prisoners, including Crosshair. Omega gasps at the sight of their slumped posture as they shuffle past, barely aware of their surroundings. Later, in one of the science labs, Omega holds a tray of vials as she watches Emery take a blood sample from a decommissioned clone. Like Crosshair and the other clones, this one is in a daze and he offers no resistance to the procedure. Emery looks at the blood sample for a moment before placing it in the tray with the others. She then tells Omega that she needs to take a sample of her blood. And when Omega asks why, Emery tells her that the samples are used for various research purposes and uh, that everyone here serves a purpose. Climbing up onto the bed and offering Emery her hand, Omega asks if she can tell her where her brothers are. But Emery doesn't know. Um, Omega then asks why she never saw Emery on Camino. Emery tells her that she was sent elsewhere until Dr. Hemlock took her under his wing, adding that Hemlock saw potential in her the same way that Nalase sees potential in Omega. Looking up at Emery, Omega says she never knew she had a sister, and it's nice not to be alone. Emery blinks at the remark, but doesn't answer. Then she places Omega's blood sample in the tray with the others and instructs Omega to take them all to Nalase. It's an interesting thought that... Uh, Emery was whisked away sort of like immediately. Mm. So you talk about the, uh, the legs that all these science projects have, like oh, yeah. suggestive that they've been doing stuff even longer. Right. Mm. I mean, she could be an accelerated version of a female clone. So True. yeah, yeah, yeah. Still could be a three year timeline, but they've been cooking, you know, they've been cooking. <laughs> yeah. 10 years. Kay's here on YouTube says, I'm here. I'm sorry I'm late. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks, Kay. We're happy to be back. Thanks for tuning in. 
All right, taking a lift to another level of the base, Omega arrives at Nalase's medical lab. Well, the lab is guarded by two clone commandos. One of them opens the outer door, allowing Omega to enter an antechamber. Once inside, a blue laser scanner passes down the entire height of the chamber before the inner, uh, inner door to the lab opens. Inside the lab, a number of droids bustle about their work. At a workstation, Nalase takes a vial of blood from a tray carried by a protocol droid, and she stares at it for a moment before placing it into an open slot above a centrifuge. Noticing that Omega has arrived, Nalase thanks her as she takes the tray of vials from her and places them under a scanner. Seeing Omega's image appear on the display, Nalase asks her if a sample of her blood was taken. Omega nods at her, saying that Emery told her it was routine. But then Nalase deletes Omega's data and removes her blood sample from the tray and destroys it in a waste slot below the scanner. When Omega asks her why she discarded it, Nalase instructs her to tell no one adding that it is safer that way. Troubled by Nalase's actions, Omega questions the research they're doing here, noting that it isn't like what they were doing on Camino. Nalase shakes her head as she answers, no, it is not. Hmm. As she adds another blood sample to the centrifuge, Omega asks her, asks her why the Empire brought her here. Nalase tells her it was to ensure that she would cooperate. She then tells Omega that the Empire seeks to reproduce a genetic M count, but the experiments on the current specimens have yet to yield the desired result. The camera then pushes in on the topmost vial of blood in the centrifuge. Inside the vial, a few more drops of blood are introduced into the sample. Omega asks, what specimens? You mean the clones? But Nalase tells her, no, not the clones. Just then, Dr. Hemlock and Scorch walk into the lab. Hemlock condescendingly remarks how nice it is to see Nalase reunited with her trusted assistant, adding that he's sure that Omega's presence will only serve to strengthen her research efforts. Hemlock then beckons Nalase to accompany him to what he calls the vault. Placing a hand on her shoulder, she tells Omega to complete her other tasks and then departs the lab with the two men. Um, the blood samples and the specimens, that's going to come up quite a bit through the course of this episode. So, I mean, I'm sure everybody has uh, a theory on uh, the specimens. Yeah. We want to, we want to know your thoughts. Uh, let us know in the comments. Tell us what you think the uh, specimens are. Just simple yak blood. <laughs> from, the common, Canadian, from the Canadian, from the Canadian grocery store. That's right. <clears throat> Arriving outside the vault, Hemlock, Nalase, and Scorch walk down a short corridor, at the end of which is a door guarded by two more clone commandos. The clones, uh, the clones, wow. The clones, <laughs> oh, what did I try to write here? Do it. Wow, I should brief it. Prefruit? Prefruit it. Prefruit it. <laughs> There's a t-shirt. <laughs> Prefruit. Prefruit. The group make their way past the clones. Yes. Uh, right. The, the group make their way past uh, the clones into a larger room. That room's perimeter is lined by 10 additional clone commandos, while two more watch from a control room above. All right. We got our first, uh, first theory here. Sarah's got a good one here. Sarah says, is Grogu one of the specimens possibly held in stasis? Hence the missing time that Ahsoka spoke about in the Mandalorian chapter 13, the Jedi. 
Oh, that's I, a great, I, that's a great theory. I think I that's a that theory as well. That is a definitely a contender. I wouldn't yeah, rule that out. Good. Not at all. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. As uh what did we get here? There, oh, ten more. At the far end of the room, lay the door to the vault itself. Hemlock produces a key card and enters it into a slot beside the door. The door slides open, revealing another corridor, this one protected with multiple rows of ray shielding. As Hemlock and Nalase enter the corridor, the ray shields sequentially open and close, allowing them to pass through while at the same time maintaining the maximum security of the chamber within. Satisfied that his charges are secure, Scorch leaves the chamber as the vault doors slide shut. Hmm. In another part of the base, an Imperial labor droid runs a stable of Lurka hounds. The droid prods at one of the hounds through the bars of its cage with an electrobaton. Omega watches the droid with disdain and then sets about to feed one of them. The labor droid sets a data pad into a slot on the wall and presses a button on it, which opens an exterior door. Outside, a patrolling Lurka hound's collar blinks green, signaling the animal to come inside. After the droid turns away, Omega kneels down beside her lunchbox. Grabbing some scraps of straw that are strewn about on the stable floor, she stuffs a handful into the little box and closes it up before she's noticed. Making her way down the line of cages, Omega kneels down in front of another cage, and she calls the hound by name. Hi, Batcher. The hound lays at the rear of its cage and just growls at her. Its food dish is overflowing with dry kibble. Concerned that the hound isn't eating, Omega takes some of her lunch, and she offers it to the hound. The hound lunges at the bars, startling Omega, who drops the food in the cage as she falls back. The hound uh, laps up the morsels before returning to the rear of its cage. Getting back look, to her, what's that? They look like the chicken nuggets from. I was going to say they, they did look like <laughs> chicken nuggets. Yeah. <laughs> getting back to her feet, Omega asks the hound if it's feeling better now. Of course, it can't answer her. And then, taking another quick look at the labor droid, Omega whispers, "I'll bring you more tomorrow." Before picking up her lunchbox and leaving the stables. All right, I tried to get us a decent look here at our uh, Lurka hounds. Here's a couple different ones. Oh, nice. uh, we've seen we've seen hounds before in the Star Wars universe, mm -hmm. particularly mm -hmm. the uh, Carillion hounds, and uh, I would say that they share some similarities Similar. in general body type, yeah, um, but certainly uh, very different in their their faces. I, I would go out as far as saying that these Lurka hounds run exactly like the terror dogs from Ghostbusters. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. but they have a very similar By episode three when you see them bounding through where they're gonna go. Yeah, from the back end, it's like, yeah, there goes a tear dog. <laughs> nice. That's cool. I like that. I like that analogy, to be honest. All right, dogs in Star Wars. All right, after leaving the stables, Omega makes her way to the detention level, carefully avoiding the guards. Sitting down on a ledge just outside Crosshair's cell, she tells him that she tried to come earlier, but there were just too many guards watching her. Crosshair tells her that she shouldn't even be here at all. But Omega refutes that with, well, how else are we going to plan an escape? <laughs> Sitting up on his bed, Crosshair tells her there is no escape because he's already tried. Omega insists that every stronghold has a weak point, And she wonders if she can get Emery to help them because she's a clone like they are. Ever the realist, Crosshair points out that not every clone is Omega's ally and that she trusts too easily. But Omega shoots back, 
maybe you don't trust enough. The camera cuts to Crosshair's hands resting between his legs. His right hand trembles for a moment before he grasps it in his left and begins to rub his knuckles to stop it. Noticing the tremor, Omega looks up at her brother and questions him. Crosshair? With pain and frustration in his voice, Crosshair tells Omega to leave before she makes more trouble for both of them. Picking up her lunchbox, she turns to leave, but then stops herself and turns back. She tells Crosshair there has to be a way out of there, and she's going to find it. Crosshair just stares at the floor until after she's gone before lifting his head. With a pained expression, he watches her walk away a few steps before laying back down on the bed. Now, I want to talk about uh, the tremor here for a second because I've got a couple ideas here, and I want to know what you guys think. Um, one, I thought that maybe this was crosshair starting to show the signs of deterioration from the advanced aging process mm-hmm. or the other one. It's a result of various Imperial tortures. I am firmly in camp too. Yeah. Yeah. They ran I enough juice through that poor bastard to just shake him. I, I mean, mean it come, go ahead, Hank. Oh, just like, um, I, how you castrate that character it's it's that way um you take it I, and I mean metaphorically you know like from a writer's standpoint oh yeah yeah um and that would make the most sense he's been poked and prodded the uh i mean probably more a, than any of the other clones because of <clears throat> the nature of who he is you know there's a line coming up here later on in the episode from hemlock who says that uh, he had plans uh, for crosshair despite his resistance to re-education yeah, yeah exactly so whatever re-education looks like resistance to the mind probe is yeah exactly exactly and i thought it was just an interesting uh mm-hmm. an interesting little detail to, to sort of focus in on for a second all right uh it's nighttime and omega once again stands on her bed looking outside with a simple punch like tool He scratches a mark into the window box, adding it to the 20 other similar marks in an effort to keep track of how long she's been imprisoned. Hopping down off the bed, she grabs her lunchbox from underneath. Opening the box, she eats one of the chicken nugget-like morsels nested in the upper tray. Lifting the tray out of the box, she tosses in the tool and removes a bundle of straw. But it isn't just a loose bundle at all. The straw has been fashioned into a crude tuca doll. Taking the doll back up into the window box, she uses more of the loose straw to strengthen one of the doll's floppy ears. Satisfied with her work, she gives the doll a brief smile before tucking it close to her chest, then leans into the window box and sighs at the 21 marks etched into the window. Turning her attention outside, Omega stares at the bright moon in the night sky. Um, We've talked about time, the passage of time in Star Wars before. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the easiest uh, thing to to equate this is each mark is one day. Yeah. Yeah. Rotation. One rotation. One rotation. And that's, that's sort of the thing that we've, we've talked about too. What's a rotation? Is it a, is it a day? Is it a year? What is it? It's a day or whatever plan. A month. Yeah, exactly. One day. And then there's, I mean, if you're in space, I guess it's a general wherever you're headed or wherever you've been, but there is a line in my episode that, it's pretty conclusive that a rotation is a day is one day. Okay, perfect. Of course, we've seen the Duca doll before. Uh, she inherited one from uh, Wrecker. 
And it uh, looks like this is her attempt to uh, recreate that. She's a kid after all. Mm-hmm. To remember that she still is a kid. And of course, uh, Tukas come from the uh, Tuka cat, of which the Loth cat is a, a variety of. Back in the medical lab, uh, scientists uh, and droids continue their work. The centrifuge rotates and more blood is introduced to another one of the clone samples. I love There's, the way that it's like a clock ticking down. Yeah. Um, it also, I thought the whole thing. Um, yeah. You mean the centrifuge spinning? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. I'm right with you on that one. There's so much repetition in this episode. Like we're going to see these images uh, or very similar images again, a few times. Well, another morning on Wayland and Omega wakes up in her cell and she looks out the barred window. Her hair is longer now and it's pulled back into a short ponytail. Inside the window box, there are at least 150 marks signaling what I think is five <clears throat> months of imprisonment here at Mount Tantus. Yeah. Grabbing her lunchbox from under the bed, Omega tucks the Tuka doll under the tray and she stands in front of the cell door. The door slides open and Emery walks in, bidding her good morning. Omega responds in kind, and then Emery says, let's begin. And the two of them depart for work. The scene is nearly a carbon copy of Omega's first day. Only this time, when she passes Crosshair in the corridor, she makes no sign of even noticing him at all. The whole sequence serves to drive home the monotony of Omega's new day-to-day routine. Yeah, and this is where I said, in that sense, uh, this is, like I was saying, like the whole Narkina 5. Yeah, yeah. line up. You know, everybody gets in a line. We all go to work. We all have our job, and it's the same thing every day. You'd think the, the prison would be lit like the, the ship, and the <laughs> ship would be lit like the prison. <laughs> it's a little bit. Yeah, it's weird. Let's paint the walls red. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the routine continues in the lab as Emery takes another daily sample of Omega's blood, placing it in the tray along with the others before sending Omega off to Nalase. What do you think the daily samples are all about? I mean, I mean, they got to know that they're not being, there's no, I think the, 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 where's the paper trail? Like if the person administering the procedure have nothing to do with, I guess, because Nala says is, is the she's top. the one taking the blood. So the daily samples seem weird. I feel like they're whatever they're combining. This is where we're going to get into this later. I don't want to get too far ahead of uh, ahead of ourselves because it's a big part of, of your episode, Andy. I don't yeah. want to take that away from you, but it comes down to I think what we think are in the pods, right? And, and so uh, they're adding a different blood. A different a different time. sample could yeah could be being added each time. At okay. the end of my episode, we're going to break down that whole vault scene. Oh, that's great. I'm Quick, very much looking forward to detail to what yeah. we heard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, where are we at? Oh, yes. And once again, Nala Say deletes Omega's data from the scanner and destroys her blood sample. Now, she's been doing this for, what, 50-some-odd days? Five months or so. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In the stables, Omega uh, goes about feeding the Lurka Hounds. Arriving at Batcher's cage, she notices a large gash on her front right leg. Alerting K9X1, that's the labor droid, uh, it comes over and tells Omega that uh, Batcher, technically identified as LH201, was injured while on patrol the night before, adding that if her wounds do not heal, she will be terminated. Emotionally charged, Omega tells the droid to help her, 
but the labor droid coldly points out that medical treatment is not part of its programming and it goes back to its duties. Omega turns back to Batcher as Batcher whimpers, and then she runs off to gather supplies from a first aid kit on the wall. Flipping the lid open, she removes a preloaded Bacta swab and then uh, returns to Batcher. Omega opens the swab and she reaches through the cage. Batcher snaps at her, but doesn't actually bite. Taking a stern tone, Omega tells the hound that she needs to clean her wound so it can heal properly and tells her, put those teeth away. <laughs> she says it will only hurt for a second and she proceeds to apply the gel to the open wound. Surprisingly, Batcher goes along with it and lays still for her. This is a very interesting uh, scene, by the way. I, I like the fact that, you know, she has a real friend in here, mm -hmm. which is kind of mm -hmm. tragic considering what's going to happen later. Um, also, Bacta, um, you know, the Star Wars miracle drug also comes in first aid kits now. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I think it's kind of weird they would have an animal handler with no medical programming. I mean, it's a droid. You wouldn't give, like, Omega's just there. It's like something for her to do. I don't yeah. think that they've gone out of their way to to have people interact with these I things. I feel like she's maybe, because she's given a certain degree of freedom, this might be something that she's chose to do. To do? Oh, maybe. That's what you know, like, I'll go check on the end. This guy, you know, beyond feed them, like they're an expendable sort of like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them loose to... This is part of the, part of those freedoms that Hemlock uh, talks about. Yeah. Right, yeah, I think so. All right. Well, Crossfade uh, to Omega, now sitting outside Crosshair's uh, cell. She tells Crosshair how she dressed Batcher's wound as best that she could and wonders if there's a medical kit that she could steal from the lab. Angrily, Crosshair tells her to stop. He then asks Omega, what is your primary mission? And without missing a beat, she tells him, escape? It's almost like a question. Yeah. Sternly, he tells her, then stop wasting time on lost causes. Forget the hound, forget him, and complete the mission. Omega says, not without you. Not surprisingly, Crosshair tells her that if he had the chance to escape, he wouldn't think twice about leaving her behind. Omega shouts at him, you're lying. You wouldn't do that. You're my brother. Frustratedly, Crosshair waves his hands in front of him and tells Omega, I'm not them. Omega locks eyes with Crosshair and says she's not giving up on him. She won't let him either. Crosshair furrows his brow and stares at the floor. So Omega gets up and leaves. But after a few steps away from the cell, Crosshair, uh, Crosshair calls out to her. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's a flub. Uh, after a few steps away from his cell, Crosshair calls out to her. Omega turns back uh, to look while Crosshair gets up and he moves to the cell door. Grabbing a hold of the grills on the door, he tells her not to risk anything on him because he belongs in here. But Omega corrects him when she says, none of us belong in here. She then turns and walks away. Crosshair watches for a moment as uh, she leaves, and then his face turns downward into a scowl as he contemplates what just happened. And I want to talk about what just happened, minus my mm. flub. Um, is this Crosshair showing actual remorse for what he's done? Yes. You think so? Yeah. I wondered about Self-imposed, he's accepted his fate. 
I mean, sure, he's accepted that he's a prisoner and he's never getting out of there, but like, is he actually remorseful for all the evil crap that he's done leading up to now? I think the moment he sent Plan 88 into effect, he was back on board. You think so? I think the moment he shot that Imperial asshole last season. At the end of last season. He's like, oh my God, I've turned on them. I picked the wrong side. That whole idea, you know, help him and the officer doesn't. No, he's just another piece of garbage that we can throw away. Long live the Empire. All right, so maybe this has been uh, percolating for a little while then. I think so. Yeah. Still don't think that this character is redeemable, though. I don't think he's redeemable in life. Remember the line he just said there, like, if I had the chance, I'd leave you behind. Yep. Because come episode three, it'll call into question. Fair enough. Later on in Omega's room, she stands in the window clutching the straw Tuka doll and stares forlornly at the crescent moon. As the water from the sink in her room continues to slowly drip, she climbs down from the window and goes to sleep. That thing has been dripping for five months. Yes. Just think of the water bill. Bloop. In I kept lab, thinking that was going to be the key to the escape. The water. Yeah. Oh, as soon as as soon as I saw the droid open the door to call the hound, and I'm like, well, there's your way out. That wasn't live. That was seemed to be the most obvious one to me. I think the water is just another, you know, like tick. Oh yeah, it's the yeah. ticking, the another ticking clock. clock. Yes. In the lab, the centrifuge rotates and more blood is introduced into the uppermost sample. And then interestingly enough, we've, we've not seen, we've seen cuts before, but not like this. We actually get a, a, a fade out uh, to black for a full 10 seconds uh, oh, wow. to signify the passage of time, which mm-hmm. by the way, I wouldn't make a big deal of this. 10 seconds in an animated series. You know how much happens in 10 seconds? Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. I mean, we watch these episodes macroscopically. So like 10 seconds of footage could be paragraphs of text, right? Did you get a slide of it? I did not. <laughs> it was just black. <laughs> just close your eyes and you'll see it. <laughs> oh, it's good. <laughs> All right. In the morning, Omega is roused from her sleep when the door to the cell slides open and a pair of commandos barge in and begin tossing the room. Emery steps into the doorway. Omega hides the Tuka doll behind her back and asks, what's going on? Emery tells her it's a surprise inspection. One commando dumps the lunchbox while the other inspects the dripping sink. Seeing the the, uh, Tuka doll behind Omega's back, the commando grabs it and he hands it to Emery. Emery tells her that they've already been over this and that personal items are forbidden and she'll dispose of it. Omega waves her hands at her. Don't please, Emery. Emery tells her it's for her own good and then orders her to come with her because they have work to do. Omega puts her lunchbox back together and then she and the commandos fall in behind Emery and head out for the lab. Surprise inspection, just like Shawshank Redemption. It's funny that, it, you know, you've only had one in five months. Yeah. She did fall asleep with it in her arms. I mean, they did tip her box over and stuff, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she, yeah. She like, it's almost, she's letting her guard down a bit. You would think, you know, and of course, like going back to what you said, Hank, about the the hounds being, maybe that's something that she's elected to do. Like maybe now, like her, like we saw her avoiding the, the commandos and the TK troopers to get to cross yeah. her cell, but maybe they are noticing now and they are watching. You could, you could kind of like maybe assume that the decision to go to the kennels was a place to get the straw for the Tuka doll in the first place. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you could know, like so one thing led to another. Yeah, for sure. 
Back at the vault, Nala Say and Dr. Hemlock exit the ray-shielded corridor back into the heavily guarded outer chamber. Nala Say says that the Emperor should be pleased that they have accomplished a successful transfer. But Hemlock says, not when the M-count was severely diminished in the process. He adds that if they do not match or exceed the specimen's original count, then it is a failure. As they exit the chamber, Hemlock tells Nalise that if she can't produce the desired results, he'll have to reconsider the freedoms that he's given to Omega. And he would hate to think that Nalise is intentionally delaying the project. Nalise says that Hemlock shouldn't question her loyalty to science. He nods, of course, adding that uh, soon they'll see if the emperor is as understanding as he is. <laughs> then under Scorch's escort, Nalase is led away from the vault. Kind of a cyclical Vader moment. Yeah, it's kind of a legacy line on its turn on yeah, its head. Yeah. Back in the stables, Omega kneels down in front of Batcher's cage, remarking how she's almost back to 100%. The hound jumps up against the bars, excited to see her, and Omega pets her through the cage door. Suddenly, K9X1 is there, pulling her away from the cage, asking if Omega has read the standing orders for the day, because Batcher has been scheduled for euthanizing. Omega is shocked and confused. She asks why, pointing out that the hound's leg wound has healed. The droid tells her that Batcher's recent domesticated disposition has been deemed a liability. Protesting, Omega tells the droid that's her fault, not Batcher's. The droid just drags her away, saying that, nevertheless, it is protocol. Struggling against the droid's grip on her arm, Omega manages to wriggle free, and she grabs at K9X1's data pad. Suddenly, it's a tug-of-war between the two, with Batcher barking away as she looks on. Planting her feet against the droid's chest, Omega is able to rend the data pad from the droid's hands and falls to the ground. K9X1 declares a security alert, and he draws an electrobaton from his back and begins to swing it at Omega. But Omega is able to roll out of the way. Hitting one of the buttons on the data pad, Omega triggers the release of a large container suspended high above the floor, and it crashes down on the droid, causing him to drop the baton and renders him immobile. Quickly, Omega picks up the baton and drives the end into the droid's head, deactivating mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's pretty grim for her. Mm -hmm. I know it's a droid and it's okay to kill droids, but like, it's like standing over him and it's like, Stop. he stares at the, the glowing tip. <laughs> John Wick moment. You're going to kill yeah. my dog? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, drives at the end into the droid's head, deactivating it. Dropping the baton, she slides the data pad into a slot on the wall and uh, triggers the outer doors on Batcher's cell to open, as well as deactivates uh, her signal caller. Rushing to the cage, Omega pleads with the hound to run away and never come back. It's a sad moment for Omega as she's losing the only real friend that she's had in here, and it seems as though it's a mutual feeling as uh, Batcher... Uh, whimpers at the order resolved to get crosshair out of his cell omega tells the hound that she can't go with her at least not yet then with some final encouragement uh, the hound dashes out of the cage and into the jungle outside the mountain fortress as she kneels there grasping the cage the uh, cage bars omega is unaware that dr hemlock has now entered the room she's surprised at his voice 
breaking the rules, I see. Spinning around, both Hemlock and Emery stand there looking at her. Hemlock rings his gloved hand. I still want to know what is underneath that freaking glove. Mm. Yeah. Uh, rings the gloved hand as he remarks how cruel she is for releasing a weak Lurka hound into the wild. Omega shouts, you are going to terminate her. Dr. Hemlock calmly replies, and you believe your actions have changed that outcome? Casually walking towards Omega, Hemlock tells her that several rotations earlier, a shuttle crashed beyond the mountain. But it wasn't the crash that killed the crew. It was the native creatures that roamed the jungle, and even the strongest Lurka hounds struggle with what lay beyond the fortress walls. Adding that Omega's domestication of Batcher has only made her vulnerable. Angrily, Omega shoots back, you don't know she won't survive. Then looking to Emery, she adds, she deserves a chance. Love that she makes eye contact with Emery at that point. It's almost like the, uh, I'm talking about the dog, but I'm talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Hemlock calls it flawed logic, uh, the flawed logic of an idealistic child. He says that emotion and sentiment have no place within the fortress. She would do well to remember that. And of course, the follow-up line from Hemlock, I mean, if Emery is smart enough to pick up that the the double the double meaning, Hemlock's mm. response should send a strong message to her. Yeah. Not willing to back down, Omega says, or what? Then Emery tries to intervene and offers to take Omega back to her room, but Hemlock holds up his hand to silence her. Looking down at the, at the child, he asks, you have more to say? Rudely, Omega reveals that she knows Nalase was brought here because Hemlock needs her. and She won't work for him if he hurts her. Her being Omega. Yeah. Um, laughing out loud, the doctor says, of course I'm not going to hurt you. Uh, your friend in the, the detention block may not be as fortunate. With the immediate realization that uh, he being her brother... Omega shouts, don't hurt Crosshair. He didn't do anything. Hmm. Well, didn't do anything in here. Yeah. Hemlock says that uh, he did have plans for Crosshair, even though he is resisting re-education efforts. He is willing to make a few sacrifices if Omega continues to misbehave. Then, looming over her, Hemlock leans down and hisses, actions always have consequences. Sometimes not in the ways we imagine. Turning to leave, Hemlock orders Emery to take Omega back to her room and restrict her access in the fortress, and then he leaves the stables. Emery gestures at Omega to come with her, so Omega picks up her lunchbox, and the two of them head out. In her room, Omega sits on her bed, facing the back wall with her knees tucked up against her chest. The door slides open, and Emery walks in. With a sigh, Omega tells her, Go away. Emery tries to talk to her, but Omega just wants to be alone. So, setting something down on the floor, Emery turns and leaves. After the door closes, Omega turns to look and is surprised to see the woven straw Tuka doll sitting there on the floor. And she picks it up and she strokes its woven face with her thumb. Then, a shrieking animal call from outside catches her attention and Omega rushes back to the window looking for the source of the noise. Not seeing anything... She cradles the Tuka doll and rests her head on her forearms. Um, and the scratch count has uh, up now. It's now either, I can't tell for sure, it's either 164 or 165. Hmm. But uh, yeah, more time has passed. 
Out in the jungle, far away from the fortress, Batcher stands on the wreckage of the crashed Imperial shuttle howling at the night sky. He stands there only a moment before turning and runs off deeper into the jungle. And we cut to black. All right. Episode one. What'd you guys think? I'm, I mean, it's way better on the second and third um, watch. It's agreed. way better after we go through it like this. They always are. Um, but not, not the strongest opening they've ever had. Uh, also agree. Think but it's last tonal. It's there's a different thing going on here. There we're not like we don't have to waste time on like exposition, like introducing characters nope. or. So I think I think it's it's supposed to feel like this, but to the casual fan, I think they needed to back it up with the other two episodes because it's supposed I to give agreed. you that feeling. Agreed. I mean, uh, in retrospect, it might have even worked better with a week between this episode and the, because that would make you feel even more like she's been there forever i feel like the yeah you're right you're absolutely right again putting all three episodes out at one time uh one the, the three episodes work together as a, as a complete arc and i think that's mm. sort of the you you have the executive decision how do we prevent loss of viewership well we got to give it all at once i don't i think that there is a real concern that had they have given just one episode yeah people might actually tune out and when you say this isn't the strongest season premiere, think of uh, season two. The season two premiere was like that Pirates of the Caribbean episode with the giant crabs running down the beach and the gunfight, and yeah, yeah, yeah. completely yeah. different. So, right, I totally, well, totally yeah, I think totally we're we're trying to go a little more story. We're trying to get to an Absolutely. end game. Like we all know that Absolutely. that's coming. So yeah, yeah, we're we are racing towards the sequel trilogy i feel like it's hard to balance a fine line between the casual fan who just wants to watch these guys run around Star and Wars and, yeah, yeah and then people that are like what do you mean he used his left hand to scratch his chest oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i guess that can be off-putting for some but i mean if you're if you're watching our show then uh, clearly i, I mean yeah, hopefully yeah. <laughs> you, you like the the microscopic analysis that we that we give these things no absolutely i just feel like that's one of the reasons that that sort of informs them like we should put out a little arc because the casual viewer might not go oh this what are they doing if they're not oh, invested right. in this yeah. right. all right does anybody need a a, a short break before we uh, pick it up with uh yeah i could use a little bathroom a break all right man well uh what about you andy you good, I'm good for well now. i tell you what we'll sit here and we'll entertain while you're Talk amongst uh, yourselves absolutely Let's take that out of here. We'll, uh, Continuing on. Continuing. I, I think it's more or less, you know, setting us tonally for Omega's piece in the journey. Yeah. Like I mean, she's isolated. She's alone. It's a dark and boring time for her. And it really she's is. Still holding on to that spark of hope. That's the thing with with this character. Omega has always been sort of the shining beacon when yeah. when you think that everything is at its worst. She's always been this consistent sort of uh, ray of light, I guess. Yeah. Like, and, and Hemlock is actively trying to beat it out of her. Uh, Emery is actively trying to say, you know, don't go that route. Yeah. Don't hold yeah. on to your hope. This is your new life. Accept it. Deal with it. Run with it. I mean, I see Emery in a bit of a different light. In she light is of that, so conflicted. In light of that that final sort of interaction about, you know, she need, she deserves a chance, right? Yeah. It's like Emery is the mirror image of Omega, 
but just it's that nurture versus nature thing. Like, you know, remember the the book, The Boys from Brazil, where they cloned Hitler and they basically uh well no no they they cloned hitler like several times and they took the children and they they put them they placed them in different parts of the world and raised them in different environments to see would they all turn out to be evil right and so like the idea that you know in a loving family that's where the the child is nurtured they would grow up a different way and i feel like that's sort of what we're getting with emory is this like it's the mirror you know looking at uh, emory's looking into a mirror when she looks at omega and my, sort of reflecting on her own life. My question is, does Emery still have her chip? And if so, that's a good question, was she just, is she just subject to order 49? Like we've never seen another officers follow orders. We haven't seen any other female clones besides the two of them. Right. Um, certainly not off the, the so. not the Django Fett. No stuff anyway. Enough. Yeah. I mean, we don't even know what the point of Emery is. Like yeah. what was the, what was going on there? Like was Emery the prototype? Like, were they trying to. Was she the alpha to Omega? Well, I presume that the alpha was Boba. Yeah. Right. Cause Omega is supposed to be, well, she's not unaltered. She is. Alpha fat. Yeah. 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 But I wonder if there's like talking about sort of the longevity of the plan and, and how insightful Palpatine was, did he know that the clones were, were key to his perpetuity? And did they know that one of these genetically altered clones was going to be the, 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 the key, the key to recreating a a force sensitive body? Mm you know what i mean like and maybe emery was like the first fail at that could be i don't know uh yeah why keep her around i guess i don't know i don't know well she says hemlock saw potential in her as nala say did with uh, omega oh right right but and weird to like train them up and give them a high degree of autonomy if they're an experiment yeah i mean like is it conditioning though? Because like almost well, certainly in Emery's case, collected as hell. In Emery's case, it almost certainly it is. Barely ever comes to the surface. Less condition. Well, I mean, conditioning. Can we call it indoctrination? Is that a better word? Maybe. Maybe I don't know. She's she's definitely trained herself to not show the emotion. But oh yeah, she's pretty. She's moments pretty flat, there. Eh? There's yeah. moments there where you see the wheels are spinning, but yeah, yeah. And the, like just her repetitiveness, come Omega, we have work to do or come Omega. There's much to do. It's the well, same, same thing. thing. Good oh morning, Omega. God. Um, we've got work. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like the, yeah, exactly. If you haven't checked out our, our uh, Patreon, it's pretty thin right now, but uh, we've, we've done away with our multi-tier uh, uh, system. We, we have one tier now and it's just, you know, um, we, we don't want to do, we're not looking for, uh, for your support. Of course we are looking for your support. The easiest <laughs> we way. We don't need you. <laughs> the easiest way to support us, of course, is to uh, follow us on social media, like, and uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is where we're most active. Um, but if you want to check out our Patreon and you want to be included as part of the, uh, the fandom power production team, you might consider subscribing to our Patreon there. We do put all of the show notes. So all of our scripted shows all of the notes go in there. So if you want to go back and, and you know, what did, what were they talking about at this point? You can always go to our Patreon and you can check that out. 
um, we are looking at, at other ways of doing more stuff with the Patreon, like some Patreon exclusive uh, live streams. Um, Unboxings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We do have a whole unboxing series coming up <laughs> where Hank and I, uh, I think we, our account was tw- 20 plus uh, action least. figures that and we probably both, growing, right? That we like, both own uh, that have yet to be open. So I thought rather than doing the standard like person hands in the camera opening the thing, the two of us will do the same figure at the same time and we'll crack jokes and, and talk about, you know, what's good and what's not so good about them and have a lot of fun doing it. So if you like those types of videos, look for that coming soon. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms.